You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Good morning already. As people are coming back in. So didn't Jessica do an incredible job last week? Oh my gosh. She's the, she's the real star, isn't she? Um, she is the best. I don't know. I don't know. If she she doesn't say anything publicly, probably about herself. But those of you that follow her on on social media, I don't know if you know, but she she recently got a book deal with Bethany House Publishing. Um, if you don't know that, that's it's actually a huge deal. Uh, traditional publishing is a bizarre world, just to be honest. Um, it's difficult to actually ever get into that world, and so she works hard at everything she does, of course, and they're excited to work with her, but um, she'll have a book coming out probably, I, th- I think they actually said the beginning of 2024, because they work real fast, you know. Um, so, you know, there's like six months of editing, six months of advertising work, six months of whatever, it's just all sorts of stuff, but she's just incredible. I, I listened to it just, uh, I think it was... Friday, actually, and I, I just am super blessed um, with her. So uh, we're going to be jumping into a new series today, just three for three weeks, and we haven't done this series, and this is something we've talked on before um, publicly here from the pulpit, but we've only ever done it once, and really it was because we kind of launched this new idea about six, seven years, actually it's seven years ago, and you know, we just felt that it was probably good to do it kind of publicly again. Now, if any of you have gone through Next Steps, some of this is going to be a little bit redundant in a sense. And if you've, and obviously if you've been here for seven plus years, it's a little bit redundant. We're going to talk about what partnership means for NTC. And the reason we felt to do it from the pulpit is the reality is this. We all need reminders of what God is teaching us. We need reminders of what God has called us to. We need reminders even of what does it mean for us to be a church, the church. You know, we did a whole series on church in the summer and kind of that big overarching thought, or actually that was last summer. Holy moly, there's my years getting. Listen, I just got over COVID, so I like, I couldn't even stand up the whole time in worship. I was still exhausted. Um, I, I thought it was going to be easier this time around because this is my second round, but uh, it was not that much easier. And it was really enjoyable. Thank you for praying for me. I know Jessica mentioned it. I was stuck in a hotel all by myself. Um, it was really terrible, honestly. But um, so I'm a little bit weak. But the idea of of talking about this publicly is because I really want to see us really something written inside us of how important it is not to be a part of this church per se, even though obviously we're talking about what it means to be a part of this church. But what does it mean to actually be together as the church? You see, um, often when people come here or they're visiting, they, you know, maybe even after a couple weeks, I get a question or Justin or some of us will get questions. They say, oh, you know, what does it mean to be a, you know, how do we become a member here? And I say, well, do you know Jesus? And, you know, usually someone will say, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. And I'm like, well, then you're a member. Because that's what the Bible teaches us. See, the Bible teaches us that membership of the body of Christ is something that happens immediately upon receiving Christ. You become a member of the body. That's why we use that language. It's Paul's language, right? You see it in Romans. You see it in Corinthians. You see this, this kind of 
explanation that comes from Paul as he writes to the churches. And he calls people members of the body, members of Christ, in that there's this place where Jesus is the head of the church, but we're his body. We're his hands and feet, his outworking in the world. And I believe that the minute someone becomes a Christ follower, I don't care if you belong to an organization called the church or not, you are a member of the body of Christ. You have a part to play. You're a piece. You're not the whole thing, but you are a piece. But here's what's important about understanding this whole idea of body and even membership. A body can live without a piece of it. But a piece of the body can't live without the rest of it. And it's, it's true, right? Like, cut your pinky off, you'll probably survive. But the pinky is not. And I, I've met so many Christians over the years that are like, no, it's just me and Jesus, Those, that people thing. Mm. Like, I'm good with God, I'm just not good with people. And I'm usually like, well, then you're probably not that good with God, actually. Because there's this part where being together as the church is synonymous with being in right standing with God. Now, again, I want to just say this. you got to hear me. I'm not talking about just coming to a Sunday service. I'm not talking about even belonging to a church that has a, a 501c3 or a nonprofit status or whatever we think when we think organizationally as the church. That's not what I'm talking about. To be a member means literally I'm going to put myself into the body with other believers, believing that God has a purpose and a part for me to play that actually works when I'm with others. You know, even today as we sang songs and, and talked and prayed for one another, the reality of this whole point is that God calls us to be together. You know, I've, I've preached this in a million different ways, but the reality is from the beginning of time, from Genesis 1, God did not design us to be alone. And the church is supposed to be the outworking of what it means to not actually live an alone-style life. And that's what the church is supposed to model. And sometimes we just make it into programs and organization and, and maybe 90 minutes on a Sunday and, and all the things that we think of when we think the word church. But if those are supposed to be tools for us to actually be together. But if those things replace what it really means to be together, then we've lost sight of it. And so this whole idea of membership, I, I think that it's, it's a call of us to actually be a part of something bigger than just ourselves. It's a, it's a call for us to be a part of something that God is doing in the earth. And the minute we decide to become Christ followers, then we begin to become a member of that body a member of the church. And so I'm using this as a contrast because if you come to New Testament church, we do have something that we call partnership. And the reason we changed to this language is because I wanted every Christian or every Christ follower to understand they're a part of the body of Christ regardless of whether you come to this church or not. But if you want to partner with NTC or New Testament church, and the work that we want to see in the North Country, then there is like some specific commitment to that. What we believe that God calls us to as members of the body of Christ. What God calls us to do and act like and be like as members of the body of Christ. How do we actually partner now with the work and vision that God has for this world? With the work and vision that maybe Jesus is speaking to this church specifically for the North Country and beyond.
And so we kind of wanted to really put that out there. I want to give you this big thought, but also this very specific thought. What does it look like to be a part of this church and what we believe God's calling us to? But what does it really mean to be a part of the body of Christ in general? You know, there are parts of our body that scientists are still slightly confused about. Like the appendix. Like it's still kind of this this thing. They know it affects certain things, but, but then it just seems like they can take it out whenever they need to. Or your tonsils, right? Like that was like constantly they were taking them out for years and years. Now they're like, well, they probably matter. Let's try to leave them in longer. And so there's even mysteries about our body, but how it works together, it only works together in certain ways. If you take certain pieces of our body out, it really, really struggles. There are certain things that make it go. There are certain things that make it actually live. And so there's this place where we have to recognize what are the pieces that God's put in the body that make us actually an alive body. Because listen, the last thing we want to be is a dead body. And, and I would say, unfortunately, you could maybe look across Christianity and find a few of those. We don't want to be that. We want to be alive. I think the first thing that we know is the Holy Spirit makes us alive. He comes in and dwells in every single one of us and actually makes us alive. That, that whole thing we've preached many times, or even when we talk about baptism, right? This idea says, the old has passed away and all things become new. God wants to make us new. He wants to make us alive. And that's as individuals, but it's also as a church. And so as New Testament church, we want to be an alive church. We want to be about what God has for us. And I want to say today, before I get into any of this, is we can only do it together. This is, this, I, I've thought about what I want to say here today about some personal things. And I, I'm not saying this statement lightly. These last two weeks have been quite possibly two of the most difficult weeks of my life as a leader. Sincerely. I, I'll cry right now just thinking. Super difficult. But you want to know what I think every time I've walked out of a hard conversation in a difficult moment? Is I am so thankful to be with people in the midst of this. I literally can't even fathom walking through life as a pastor, as a leader, or even as a person without others around me. Because you see, there's moments that I've run into where it feels like there's a wall that's so insurmountable, why even try? But then what happens is I turn around and I look around in the midst of those moments and I see a whole bunch of friends with me. Have you ever seen those, those, uh, those races and those runs where they usually have this gigantic wall and it's literally impossible for one person to climb? But yet this team runs to the wall, and they usually have it all set up in this incredible way. One guy jumps against the wall, and then another person, like, climbs on the shoulders. Another person climbs on that shoulders and reaches the top, and then he's over, and he's pulling people up. You seen that before? That's what life is kind of like. We are going to always hit walls we can't climb by ourselves. But when we're together... And especially when we're together in heart and mind and unity like the body of Christ is supposed to be like, then whatever we come against, there's people around us to help us get over that wall. Even me. 
There are times when I feel like I'm the guy down in the mud that has no strength left to get up. But then I look around and there's people around me who are praying and carrying things and then lifting me up. That is the body of Christ. That is what the church is supposed to be for. And it isn't just so that we're not in the mud. It's so that we can actually accomplish something. It's so that we can see the name of Jesus actually made famous in a world that has kind of sidelined Christianity and religion, and sometimes for good reasons, but that we could actually show a world what Jesus is really like by showing each other what Jesus is really like. You know, the Bible literally says that they'll know us by our love for one another. That when people look at us, they should, they should actually not say, oh, I know you're a Jesus follower by the political sign in your yard. No, that's not what it should be. They should say, I know you're a follower of Jesus because you love people when it doesn't make sense. You care for people when it's out of the way for you and it's not convenient and it's difficult and it's hard. You guys stand together. Even when they seem to be fighting with one another, they're loving each other in the process. That's what the world should see. And so as a church, when, when we talk about what does it mean to be a partner with New Testament church, these are like the baseline things. We want to create an alive group of people who love one another no matter what it takes. That stand with one another when the other person can't stand. And so we're going to go through these six statements these next three weeks. And, and then on November 4th, we've, we've been doing this for seven years now. It's called our partner party. It's just this time to celebrate like, hey, what has God done in us this last year? And we celebrate the things that we've done. We take all the chairs out. We bring tables in. And Matt usually cooks us some incredible food. And we celebrate together. But then we also talk, what does the next year have for us? What do we believe Jesus is pressing us into together? Because at the end of the day, this is not about me or Justin or a few staff members. It's about all of us. What is God calling all of us to do? You know, the first year, is anybody, anybody here at the first partner party that we did seven years ago? Do you remember what you came in to find? I, I, I actually had Tony Ramsdale cut us a 60. It still got battery. No, I'm back. A 65-foot log right here. And the joke was, Gonna really gonna get me if it keeps doing that. I feel like there's a dead spot or something. Um, there was a 65 foot log, and the joke was I tr I think I actually did budget just so you know. And then we had the staff come up, and we did kind of like you know a little bit of a movement. And then I said, how about anybody else? Anybody else want to come help us? And all these men and women came forward, and I'm telling you, we lifted that thing on our shoulders in no time. And we walked it right out the church because we did still have to get rid of it. And we put it outside. And it was simple. But as a person, as me, no matter probably how much weightlifting I could have ever done in my life, I would have never been able to get that log out of here. And it's this picture of what does God call us to do, but he calls us to do it together, no matter what it is. Together is the point of church. Together is the point of what Jesus has come back for. It says he's coming back for his church. You know that? It doesn't actually say he's coming back for each individual. 
He's coming back for his church. He sees us not just as individuals. I know he does, but he also sees us as this whole, as this group, as this body, and that's who he's coming back for. He's coming back for his bride. No, you're fine. His bride. We're called to be a part of all of that. And so the first one, if you've got your notes there, I want to just give you a little explanation. Why did we choose this word partner? There's a few scriptures there. One is Luke 5, 7, and these are just things that stuck out to me when we were talking about this. And verse uh, 7 of chapter 5, it says, A shout for help brought their partners and the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. This is a moment when Jesus has sent out or he tell, he's seeing his, his friends fishing, and he says, hey, cast your nets on the other side. And they go to pull in this load of fish that's so big it almost tips the boat over. And it says they call to their partners to come. And you see, this word partner there, it, it's, it's a form of koinonia, if you've ever heard that Greek word. There was a church, actually, in Potsdam. They changed their name. It was called koinonia. And what it meant was fellowship. It meant they, were, they literally fellowed together. They actually came together, not just to be together, but to actually do things together. It was an action term. And this partner word is the same derivative of that word that they, call, they were called to action together. They were called to accomplish something together. It wasn't just to exist together. It wasn't just to show up in the same place together. It was actually meant to accomplish, to actually do. And then there's this other scripture in Philemon 1.17 I want to I read. If you ever read out of Philemon, it's such a small book, you're going to have a time, time finding it. So he says, so if you could, this is Paul writing, right? He says, so if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And he's talking to the churches. And there's multiple times actually throughout the scriptures that Paul refers to this word partner. You see, I think there's a difference because you can be a member but kind of be like a lame member. How many of you own gym memberships but never go? You're not much of a member, are you? You see, just being a member doesn't, doesn't mean that you're doing something with that membership, right? But when this word partnership shows up, it's like it, it calls us to action. It means that we're a part of something. And I wanted to give you just a history here of partner. So the, the word partner actually is a shipbuilding term. And it was obviously used more when uh, they were building ships out of wood. And what it would mean, or what the part was, was that underneath the main deck where the mast was, they would build these large timbers, and they would put them under the deck. And they weren't really there to hold the deck. They were there to hold the stability of the mast. So on those large sailing ships, you'd have these you know, sometimes one, two, and three, even up to five large masts that would hold the sails that would propel the ship forward. Now, those masts were sometimes so large they needed lots of partners to hold them in place. Now, the partner, what's interesting about it, it's not the part that everybody sees. Everybody looks and sees the sail. They see the mast. But the truth is the sail is useless unless it can be held in the air. The mast is even useless unless it can be held in the air. And so the larger the mast needed to be, the more partners they needed to install. And the further they wanted to go, 
under even reasons of safety because often masts would break in storms. So they would install multiple masts. They'd have three to five masts because they would know, oh, maybe that one will break, but we know that these partners will hold the other ones in place. But the other reason was if they wanted to get somewhere faster, they knew we need more masts, which means we need more partners. And so this term comes from that whole shipbuilding theme. There's this place where I, I kind of, obviously you can see the parallel. There's this place where God calls us to go somewhere as a church. He wants our ship to be propelled forward, but the only way to be propelled forward is if we can actually hold up the vision that God has for us. You see, God's given us a mast. He's given us these sails to go forward. He's telling us even the direction he wants to go, but the only way forward is if we actually hold up that vision and go with it. And I believe that the vision God's called New Testament church to in the North Country and beyond is far outside the ability for one or even a few people to accomplish. And so the more that God calls us to literally means the more partners that are required to actually see it accomplished. The faster that we want the boat to go and the further that we want this boat to go and the more stable we want this boat to be, the more partners that are needed to actually carry it. And we see this language even in the scriptures. We see the church being added to and the church, the reason it explodes is not because Paul takes a million trips. Paul only takes three trips. But it's because wherever Paul goes, somehow there's this multiplication and this understanding that God is calling everyone to be sent out. You know, the Bible focuses on 12 apostles, but the reality is that every one of us is called to be sent. Every one of us is called to go out to wherever God is sending us, our workplace, our families, the people around us. And when we all partner together with the vision of God, then what we can accomplish is beyond imagination. You remember the story of the Tower of Babel? It says they all worked in one accord and in one language. And even God, there's this moment where you see God speak and it says that nothing was beyond their ability to accomplish. And that was without God involved. He didn't even want them doing it. Imagine if the people of God could actually walk in unity with one heart and one accord. What could we see God do through us? What could we see the church accomplish? You know, last week I was, when I was, was it last week? Yeah, it was the week before. When I was in Portland, and one of the days was with our Manor House Global family, the larger family that we're even a part of. And, and I had a, a moment where I spoke about some stuff they wanted me to share. And a lot of the churches in the, that room, you know, our heart is to say, hey, God can use you to multiply. And that, that's kind of the point of this, this conference and us being together as a family, we want to see more churches planted. And a lot of these people, they're in cities of 50,000, 100,000, 600,000, even a couple million are in some big cities. A lot of the churches, there's, there's over 60, 70 churches represented in the room. And I said, you want to know how, how big our church is or how big our town is? I said, there's about 12,000 people in Messina. And afterwards, I had this conversation with one. He was literally like, come on, there's only 12,000 people? I'm like, yeah, literally. 
He couldn't wrap his mind around the fact of what we've been able to see accomplished here when there's just a little town. And in my mind, I don't think that matters. It's all about unity. It's not just about numbers. You see, you could have a ton of members showing up at a church, but if you don't have some people partnering with the vision, it, yeah, it's not going to propel very well. It's not going to go in one direction. But I think what we've seen God be able to do through us is because many of us have grabbed hold of this idea that it's not just about a few leaders or a few pastors, but it's about what has God called me to do in the midst of this vision? How am I going to partner with what God's saying to do? That's why we use this term partnership, because I think every one of us has a part to play. If you're listening now, if you're online, or if you're in this room, you have a part to play in God's vision for the world. So what does it mean to partner with us? So we've got two things I just want to hit today. Two thoughts. The two, two first things. This is the commitment of what we would say it means to partner with us as a church. But these are real base things. If you're going to be a part of any church, these kind of matter. So the first one in your notes, you'll see it, is we come together. Simple, right? But it's like the gym membership. You can say you want to be a part of something, but if you don't show up, it's kind of hard to be a part of that thing, right? That's a simplistic idea, but we see throughout Scripture, and I've put a few down in here. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, we actually often quote some of that Scripture whenever there's a prophetic word or, or something goes on there, because this is a part where Paul is talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ or in the church. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, he says, When you come together, one will sing, another will teach, another will give some special revelation. And he goes on to describe a bunch of things. But I love that it says this, when you come together. Not if. Not necessarily even when it's convenient. Not when, you know, the first top five things in your priority list aren't happening that day. When you come together. And I'm not trying to be, like, too heavy about this, but the reality is if COVID taught me anything, it's that technology is a tool, but it is never going to be a replacement. Watching online, awesome tool. Glad you're watching with us today. But it is never a replacement for human contact. It's never going to take the place of coming together when I can walk an aisle over and put my hands on someone and literally stand and pray with them. It's never going to be a replacement for when God comes and does an incredible miracle in a moment in worship. That just can't be explained any other way other than you are in the presence of God. There's something about coming together that literally can't be replaced by anything else. And, I, and I'm telling you, I've seen so many Christians that, that come to me at different times, even the most difficult times in their life, and they're usually like, man, I feel so alone, I feel so lost, man, these incredibly hard things are happening. And almost, almost always I can think in my head, man, I haven't seen you in about four months. It's, I'm telling you, this is the first tactic the enemy will always use. If he wants to come kill, steal, and destroy from us, guess what he does first? Convinces, to, convinces you to be separated, to isolate. 
Well, that can easily happen through offense. You want to know why? Because we're all people. Oh, that person looked at me funny. I shouldn't make fun of it. Because listen, we really offend each other. Just being blunt, don't we? Don't we hurt each other sometimes? Don't we say the wrong things? Don't we see things the wrong way and have bad filters sometimes? And we end up hurting people even from our own hurts. It happens. But the reality is that is the first tactic the enemy is always going to use to try to get you separated. Because when we're separated, we're a lot more vulnerable. I'll tell you, whenever I'm having the worst thoughts, it's because I've been by myself too much. It's because I'm in my own headspace and I'm just running through some sort of, you know, roll call of all the issues I have. Or all the things I'm up against. But I'm telling you, every time I come in on a Sunday, even when I don't feel like being here, and I come in on a Sunday and I lift my hands up and I start to worship words that maybe I don't even necessarily feel like I believe in the moment, something literally begins to change in me. All of a sudden, my heart and my mind get recentered, and I start to realize that I've been thinking very immaturely and silly. That I lost sight of the most important things. And I'm reminded I'm not alone in the midst of all this. There's something that happens when we come together, and the enemy knows that if he can just separate us, it's easy to keep us discouraged. It's easy to keep us convinced that people are dangerous. And we kind of are. But there's this place that when we come together, when we actually walk in unity with one another, even when we can learn to step over offenses and, and give forgiveness and grace to one another, something incredible happens. The enemy loses his power in our lives. His ability to convince us that we, don't, we aren't important, that we don't have purpose, and that we really don't matter, all those things start to fade away. But coming together is what keeps that together. It's what keeps us reminded that God never designed us to be alone. You know, Western society, I think, has done a really good job at creating this successful individual. And there's even been a resurgence in the secular world of recognizing that even in secular ways, you know, just corporations and organizations, that the truth is, it's never really about one person, that a team usually is what accomplishes things. And you might, you might find these superhero leaders out there that rise up and exist. But the truth is they'd be nothing without the team of people around them. And the best leaders actually recognize that and elevate the team of people around them. And that's even in the secular world, there's this recognition of that. How much more is it true when we have the Holy Spirit leading us and when we walk in unity as the church? How much more could God do through us when we come together in one accord? I, I like that word, this one accord idea. It literally means there's one purpose. There's one specific thing that we're here called to do. And when you walk in the room, we've broke it down to three, but the truth is, Jesus breaks it down to the one. Love one another as I have loved you. That's why we keep it simple. Know God, love one another, make disciples. Know God, it just means pursuing, know who he is. Learn to love one another. God calls us to. Make disciples, help teach them the first two. That's all it is. 
that we come together in one accord, what can God do with us? What can God do through us? Acts 2.1. Many of us know this scripture, but this is Jesus' left, right? We've got this moment in Acts 1.8 where we see Jesus kind of give these last words. He's going to all the world and, and, you know, make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28 and Acts 1, he's, he's kind of being raised into heaven. I, I still can't picture that moment. And then it says they go into the city to pray, right? And they're, they're praying in this one place. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were together in one place. You see, they were praying because they didn't know what else to do. Jesus had left, and he had said that the Holy Spirit was going to come, but I'm pretty sure they really didn't have a clue what that meant. And so they go to this room, this upper room. I've actually been in the room when I was in Israel in old Jerusalem. And they said they prayed there together, but they were all together in one place. I'm telling you, something incredible happens when believers come together in one place. When we come together to see God do something in us and through us, when we come together to see what God has to say to us and how he wants to shape us, something happens when we come together that cannot happen any other way. So as NTC, if you want to partner with us, this is the simplest baseline. We have to come together. Now listen, we're not religious about it. I often have people that, are, that come and tell me like, oh, sorry, I missed last week. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't notice. Like, we don't have a roll call. We're not keeping track like, oh, notice he wasn't here. We're not doing that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about some religious sense of, of checking a time card. I'm talking about the idea of what the benefit actually happens in the whole and as us as individuals when we decide to come together. And so when we press an idea of like this is the baseline, it's because we know that God calls something out of us coming together, but he has something for us when we come together. I tell you, there's, ne there's never been a service that I've probably regretted coming to. But there have been a lot of services that in the morning I've wondered if I really want to go to. That I feel tired or I'm, I'm worn out or whatever and I, I just make the decision, you know what, I'm going. Now, of course, I get paid to be here. But I'm just making this decision like this, I'm going to go. And every time I come, God blesses me. Every time I show up, regardless of how I feel, he blesses me in the midst of it. This is the first thing that we have to commit to. If we want to be a part of the body of Christ and we want to partner with what God's doing through New Testament, it's we come together. And I want to turn to Matthew 20, 28. And we pick these first two, we come together and we serve together, really from this one line that Jesus says in Matthew 20, 28. And here he is, and he's talking about, he's actually kind of got having this little leadership conversation that takes place with some of the disciples. And we get down to, I'll, I'll start from verse 25, actually. It says, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. He's talking about leadership here. He's talking about the fact that it, leadership in the church shouldn't look like leadership in the world. We shouldn't model how we lead the church 
in the same way that the world decides to model how they lead organizations. It should be the other way around. Because what we see here is Jesus saying it's going to be different. Something's going to be different about how, the way, how your authority works and how your leadership works. He says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And then here's the verse. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, it says, why did Jesus come? To serve. And this is, this is kind of the baseline for what we think it means to even decide to be a part of the body of Christ or even to partner with any church organization, really, not just New Testament, but for us specifically, is why do we come? We don't just come to receive, but we come to serve. We come to serve one another. You know, they use two words here that are really uncomfortable. One is a servant and a slave. Like, it's 2022. We need to like figure out new words for that, Jesus. You can't say you're a slave to somebody. But literally, the word there, and, and we just understand what being a slave means, it means that literally your rights are gone. And that your existence is actually for the embitterment of somebody else. That rubs me the wrong way. But yet somehow this is the different that Jesus is talking about. That when we come and approach life with each other in a way where we actually say, listen, your needs are more important than mine. I'm here to serve you. That somehow this is what actually qualifies us as leaders in the body of Christ. This is what qualifies us to actually start to look like how Jesus looked. And we look at Jesus' life, right? This is the simplicity of Christianity. We're Christ followers. We're little Christ. We're Christians. We're those who follow the way of Jesus. And then we look at statements like this, and we see what Jesus says. He says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. It means literally that he knew he would sacrifice of his life, and it would literally purchase life for other people. And somehow we're called to the same thing. Whatever that looks like, however that actually plays out, that we're called to come and serve one another. It means that serving isn't just about the convenience of it, but literally about the expense and sacrifice of it. It isn't just about what I want to do, but what I should do. That's what the church should look like. It should look like people who sacrificially give their lives to one another and to the world around them. We're called to serve. And, and, it, and I'm not just talking about like the things we do here on a Sunday. Now that's important, right? We have the worship team and they come early and they serve the rest of us. And we have people who greet us at the doors and the kids workers and NTC kids and the people making the coffee. And yes, there are these practical ways that on a Sunday morning we serve. But there's so much more than that. There's this place where we actually lay our lives down for one another. Now, Jesus says there's no greater love than to lay your life down for your friends. 
And I've said this before, but I think we always put that into this like, oh, I would die for you category. No, no, you should live for them category. You should wake up every day not wanting to throw yourself in front of a bus, but wake up every day wanting to serve, wanting to bless, wanting to show people the love of Christ. That's what it means to lay your life down for someone, for people. In the body of Christ, we see it all throughout Paul's letters later. He constantly admonishes the believers to love one another and to pray for one another and to stand with one another and to care for one another. There's this place where we're called to serve each other. We see it in Jesus' words, and I think that these are some of the most basic ideas, but yet, man, if we were able to just capture these basic ideas, how effective would we be in the world? If we were able to just do it in this room, let alone for the world around us yet, but if we were able to model serving and loving one another in a sacrificial way in this room, that's what the Bible literally says, they would know us by our love. That our love for one another would actually start to stand out. That's what it's called to be. That's what we're called to look like. A church that cares and sacrificially loves, even when we don't like it. (laughs) Or it's uncomfortable. We see even in Jesus' life in those two scriptures I put in John 12 and John 14. But in John 12, we see, it says, The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say. There's this whole theme that you see through Jesus' life in the Gospels where he constantly says he's not even under his own direction. So I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only go where the Father commands me to go. And there's this place where even Jesus modeled as a man here on earth at that time, what was it like to actually become a servant? He wasn't just doing his own will. He was doing his Father's will. And he models what it means to become this servant of the vision of his Father. And that vision was to show the world what he was really like, to love the world around him. To heal the sick, to cast out demons, to bring freedom and victory in people's life. To make the old wash away and to make all become new again. This was the life Jesus showed us how to live and he's asking us to act the same way as the church. But I'll tell you what, it was really expensive, wasn't it? It cost him everything. We even see in the Garden of Gethsemane this moment where Jesus says he was crushed with grief to the point of death. And he asked his father, hey, if there's another way, could you take this cup from me? And then he answers his own question. He says, but not my will, but yours. Like This is the basis of Christianity to serve one another. And Jesus modeled it better than anyone showed us how to actually lay our lives down for each other. You know, I was just reading in Mark 6 with the students this week, and there's this story where it says Jesus, you know, they, they, they had done all these miracles, all these things were happening, and he's, he, it says they, they were so busy they hadn't had any time to eat. So Jesus says, hey, let's get in the boat and get away from the crowds so we can have some time alone. This is like an actual story, right? And it says, Jesus, they get in the boat, and they're trying to go down the Sea of Galilee, but the people wanted him so badly, they chased him along the the shore. And he gets 
to another place where they were trying to go and just have some food by themselves for a few minutes. And, and this is where the 5,000 people now are. This is the moment where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now I'm telling you, if I would have gotten to that part of the shore and 5,000 people were waiting and I was hungry, I wouldn't have been that friendly. But they don't even eat. It says they immediately begin to minister again. And I know it's a silly story, but I look at this story and I'm like, this is Jesus really modeling. He hasn't even eaten. He's hungry. He's almost kind of, it almost sounds like he's tired of being around too many people. But yet he gets to another crowd. This is one of the greatest miracles we see in the Bible, right? The, the, the loaves and the fish and he breaks them and multiplied to feed 5,000 people. And these stories, they just go one right after the other. Even sacrificing of his time and his energy and his his money and and his even taking time to eat. I'll, I'll tell you what, listen, you're not going to interrupt my time to eat. I always tell people, listen, you don't want to meet with me unless I've eaten. I'm not going to be a good pastor. But here you've got Jesus modeling what it means to lay his life down. This is, this is the other base thing. I I know this is kind of our partnership commitment, but the truth is it's this base thing in Christianity that we come together, but we serve together. We carry one another. We walk through the good times and the bad, shouldering one another and serving no matter what it takes. Matthew 9, 9, I've got this question in there. It says, what qualifies us to be a servant of Christ and others? And you've got this story where Matt, where well, his name's not Matthew, it's Levi, he's the tax collector, and Jesus is walking by, it says one day, and he just says, hey, Matthew, or hey, Levi, why don't you come and be my disciple? And it just says that he got up and followed him. And I think sometimes, you know, we look at, in Christianity, we look at maybe people who are leaders or people who are pastors or people who are working at a church, and we're like, well, they're the servants of God. The truth is, the only qualifying factor you need to have to be a servant for God is willingness to do it. I love this story with Levi. He's, he's, first off, he's not a liked character. He's a tax collector for the Roman Empire. He's a traitor to his people. And it doesn't say Jesus held some prayer service to discern who the next apostle was. It doesn't say he went and searched out Levi. It says he was walking by his booth one day. He's like, hey, how about you? You want to come? I love that. Because that literally means Jesus can do the same for me. Because I don't really feel like one in a million type people. But yet I feel like God walks by me and says, hey, Greg, you want to come? And I'm just like, yeah, I'll come. Now, sometimes I say it this way. I'm stupid, stupid enough to say, yeah, I'll come. <laughs> sometimes we say, yeah, I'll come before we know the cost. But that's okay, too. I think this is where Jesus is calling every one of us. Do you want to come and follow him? Why don't we stand this morning? Do we want to be followers of Christ? And though we're talking about this in the terms of partnering with NTC, this is just the basis of what it means to be a Christ follower. Do we want to follow him? Do we want to be like he was?
You know, we, we can look at church history and we can, we can point out all the problems and flaws and defects that the church has done over the many, many years. And there's lots of them. But I'm convinced as a Christian that if we were able to just get down to the simplicity of looking at Jesus' life and saying, I'm going to follow that way, that the world would come running looking for our love, looking for the miracles God has for them, looking for new life. See, Jesus couldn't get away from the crowds and we have trouble attracting them. And when I think about that, I just think, I think I need to look a little more like Jesus. I gotta find out how to act a little more like him. I gotta, I gotta lay my life down a little bit more so that people might actually be attracted to my life. To say, what do you have that I don't have? Who do you know that I don't know? This is the call that God has for his church. This is the call that God has over NTC. We come together, we serve together, we model to the world what it looks like to follow Jesus. Maybe you're in this room and you've heard this in a sense before. Let me just remind you, let me kind of maybe shake you and remind you what this is all about. Maybe you're in this room or watching online and you, you've been checking out church, you've been checking out Jesus, but you just don't know what it really means to follow him. Well, here's the hard truth. It means just laying everything down. It's a, there's a simple open door to follow Jesus. The grace that he paid for on the cross is available to everyone, but it is very costly. It means that you don't get your own way anymore. It means that you don't get to decide everything about your life anymore, that you're supposed to place everything in the hands of Jesus and then let him lead you. And I wanted to give an opportunity here at the end of this for those who would say, I follow Jesus and I know him, but maybe I haven't placed everything in his hands. Now, I know Jessica, I loved her all-in thing here. And so there's this place for us to say, okay, I want to I wanna push all the chips in. I, I really want to be all-in. I want to actually follow Jesus, not just when it's convenient or easy or when I want to. And then for those who maybe are like, I've never actually decided to commit to this, you can make the choice now and begin a new way. Start walking a new way. Giving up the way that you've been walking, the direction of your life, turning and following him. That's what repentance means. It means a change of mindset and a change of direction. It's, it's to repent like, oh, oh, that way is not the way I should go. I should go this way. And it can happen in a minute. Jesus can change everything in a moment and start leading us in a new way. So this is what I want to do. I want to pray every one of us in the room. I want us to repeat a prayer after me that just gives control back to God, every one of us. That just commits every one of us, our whole lives back to him. Can we do that together? Just pray with me. Jesus, we need you. We want you. God, help us to be followers of you. Help us to lay our lives down. 
every single day. Not just once in a prayer, not just once at a service, but in a continuous way. Jesus, we give up our life and we pick up your life. Jesus, Jesus, we give up our ways and we wanna follow your ways. So come today, enter my life, do whatever you wanna do. We receive you, Jesus, once again, in Jesus' name. God, I just pray right now for your Holy Spirit to come in this place. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come over our minds and our hearts and our situations, God, that we would be even convicted and compelled, God, that something in us would be stirred, not just to be Christians who, who wear a name tag as a Christian, go to church on a Sunday, but those who actually model what it means to look like you, that our lives would reflect your purposes in this world, Jesus that our commitment to you would reflect the commitment you had to us. God, that we would be a church that's alive, a church that has you living within us, a church that isn't really about its own ideas or own vision, but a church that just wants to follow you, Holy Spirit, that wants to follow you, Jesus. And so God, we just commit together again today. God, we commit to come together as your people. We commit to serve one another together as your people. God, knowing that the world is watching, knowing that the world needs you, knowing that the world will see our love for one another and be changed. So God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for what you're doing in every person. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.